This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Everyone fucking hates you. Now that's what it sounded like when Stewie Hosseini told Logan Roy, patriarch of the Roy family, some hard truths on the great HBO series Succession. Stewie Hosseini is, of course, the wealthy financier and Kendall's old college buddy who decides to help him to take over the company. Guys, welcome to the show and to my conversation with Arin Moyed, the actor behind Stewie Hosseini who dares confront Logan and stir things up. Now, I'm so happy that here and now, in the midst of the pain that the world is going through at the moment, I got to have a most interesting and fun conversation about acting, producing, and healing through art. And so many great succession stories, it's going to blow your minds, fellow fans. How they did it, the writing, directing, some great anecdotes, and incredibly good stories about Stewie and the dysfunctional Roy family. And why they probably most have taught us that maybe we don't need to be all that rich. Another great treat for you is that there's an extra 10-minute bonus of a succession deep dive with Aryan over at Pop Culture Confidential Premium. Again, you can become a member for a low monthly price by subscribing to popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm or check out the show notes for that link exclusive material awaits. For those of you who want to and are able to, thank you so much for helping to support the work and for keeping us ad-free. Now, Aryan Moyed is Iranian-born and Chicago-bred. His parents left Iran following the revolution and settled in a suburb of Chicago. Aryan is a Tony-nominated theater actor. He was nominated for his performance in Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, which co-starred Robin Williams. On TV, we've seen him on, for example, Madam Secretary and the following, and he's soon to be starring in Shonda Rhimes' upcoming Netflix series, Inventing Anna. He is the co-founder of Waterwell, a theater company that also teaches drama to hundreds of public school students in the New York area. Here is my conversation with Aryan Moyet. So, Mr. Moyet, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. So, while I was researching your background, your career, your theater company, Waterwell, which also teaches drama to public school students, I was thinking, not always, but a lot of the time, I, you know, my interviewees, you can see some of their characters um, or some of themselves in their roles. And mm. there's not a lot of the succession high-rolling Stewie Usaini in that bio <laughs> I just read. Was this pure method acting? <laughs> yeah, I think, the you know, it's so funny. We have at my company, we are a nonprofit and we often like um, you know, ask for foundation money and foundation support. And someone of a friend who has at a foundation was like at a staff meeting. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Waterwell is 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 co-founded by Stewie. Should we be trusting this guy? Um, yeah, no, it's I mean, it's it's just a character. I mean, it's completely, you know, it's I say this with humility. It's like completely the opposite of me. But I I I kind of just you know, I, I, for that character, I just, you know, I kind of knew exactly how that guy rolls, which is a guy that's really good at what he does, a guy that doesn't really lie, 
um, and a guy that just cares about the bottom line um, and just took out all the took out anything else otherwise, you know, and, you know, so much of it is, is Jesse, but that Stewie is, I have a real deep affection for Stewie. You know, there's a kind of a couple of funny stories. One is I knew Jeremy. I met Jeremy when I was 19, Mm -hmm. Jeremy strong um, at Steppenwolf in Chicago because a mutual best friend of ours, actually we, Jeremy, this is the other weird thing. Jeremy's best friend and my best friend, we have the same like best friend. It's hilarious. And so I've known uh, Jeremy for a long time. So part of what, you know, I really wanted to do is having a character that really just knows someone for a long time and knows, you know, I think there was an early version of a script, you know, in season one where Jesse wrote like, either I was vomiting in like a, you know, after like hungover, I was vomiting somewhere, someone else was vomiting, something like that. And he was holding your hair back. Yeah. Something like that yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah. It's like he was holding my hair back. And, and so that's the, that, that is also what's in the middle of all this. And, and so in that beginning of season three, when he's like, we had the whole world in our hands, like this is what we drew, this is what we talked about for over you know 20 years we've been talking about ruling it all and then you just walked away so adding that element to like this shark and like business tycoon is really kind of amazing and you know not that any of this will ever be revealed but we have you know his name is Stewie Husseini you know like you know Jesse and I talked about him being Iranian and, mm-hmm. and, and what that would be and we talked about like when he got here even to the states, I mean, and uh, so we filled in all of the backstory and just, but just kind of made this shark. But it is funny. I have been stopped in the street. They're like, "Are you an actor?" I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Are you in Succession?" I was like, "Yeah." You're like, "You're Stewie." I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Man, you're a fucking asshole." <laughs> <laughs> and then you're kind of like, "Wait, no, 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 You're kind of like in like shock that someone says something like that. Um, but you know, it is really, it's just a character. Well, we're going to get back to him. He is not a bad friend. I mean, he's not. Yeah, I, I agree mean, with you. I mean, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk more about him and the We Roy. could dissect. Yeah, yeah, we will dissect. We'll get into some <laughs> real nerds. But first, I, I want to ask you, how are you and your family at this moment in time? Thank you so much for asking. I mean, you know, you know, New York City is in the midst of some epic levels of, 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 of pain. And we are you know, pushing ahead and pushing through, but every day is turning into a little bit of who's in the hospital, you know, what, you know, we live in Midtown Manhattan, like where the epicenter of it all, it's kind of started. Um, So we are taking it day by day. We are scared, but we are resilient. We are, as a, as a city, we, you know, we believe in each other. And, you know, I, I, I say this to our students all the time. And I say this to people that really want to know a little bit about, you know, New York. I say, you know, for us, New York is the the birthplace is is where democracy kind of works. You know, we can show the rest of the world that all these different cultures, ideas, languages, people can live side by side, and um, that kind of like immigrant resilience powered with like New York's like engine makes us a really resilient town. But it's scary. I understand that you have a brother and he's a doctor in DC. Mm-hmm, yeah. How is he holding up? He's a, you know, he's in a war zone. That brother of mine, his name is Omid. You know, Omid is, is 17 years older than me. And he also um, fought in the Iran-Iraq war. He's an anesthesiologist down there and he's in DC and he kind of describes this moment in time 
uh, and he, he equates it often with the with fighting in the Iran Iraq War for two years. He, it's just a survival of the fittest. I make mean, I send you a picture of him, which he which is like all the pictures that we've seen of medical providers in this in the world right now. But he is like he is like armored to a T, going in scared, but also going in you know trying to be of service. So. Bless him. Um, yeah, he's, thank him. He's, thank him. I mean, he still is the ugliest brother, though. <laughs> Your mother still loves you the best, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. My, I, I have a joke that I say, you know, we're at a, my mom's English. Not, you know, she's, she, she, we're all immigrants. We're all born in Iran. And so her English is not super great still. But the other, you know, a couple of years ago at Christmas time, we were like, what is your favorite memory, mom, of like, you know, of childhood in Iran or memories of Iran? And her response was, Omid. <laughs> she just said my brother's name and we're like, is there more to this? Like, no, just your son. Your son that's not us is okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but the, yeah, you were mentioned you're Iranian born, you're Chicago yeah. bred. Um yeah. I was reading that recently Waterwell and you produced a play called The Courtroom, mm. um, which is about guess you know, an immigrant in danger of being deported. And one thing mm -hmm. you said about that, it was that your mom was the catalyst for this play. Mm. Why? Yeah, I I was due a couple of summers ago now, I guess, when the separation the separations of the detention centers down on the border was happening. You know, I was at in Chicago at that time doing a play at Steppenwolf and I was talking to my mom and I was watching her watch the news and she was just like so she was crying as she was looking at children being separated at the border which is you know uh, an apolitical idea more more just an idea of just human beings getting separated from their children I have two kids so that sounds horrendous and I said to my mom in Farsi I said this is like a real devastation for these kids I mean they're gonna have so much trauma and she turned to me and she goes it's a real devastation for the United States and my mom who really is a is it loves America more than kind of anyone I know just because our immediate family got to the states. We are all uh, thriving and trying to like you know survive in a democracy, trying to do what we can. Um, she really looks up to America in a different way than most Americans even do, and so that was the catalyst to see my mom's heart break to see that it looked and felt like um, Iran in the seventies was really kind of scary. And so I you know I turned to the company and we we're like we have to like address this in some way. And so basically what happened is we, we, we sought out all deportation cases and read the transcripts. And within a couple of weeks, I was talking to this unbelievable lawyer by the name of Richard, um, Richard Haynes. And um, Richard had this case in 2007 of a young Filipino woman uh, by the name of Elizabeth Keithley, who was being deported because uh, at the DMV, not knowing, not having great English skills, only six or seven months or after arriving to the States, on a legally on a K-1 visa, she married an American, what happened is they asked her, would you like to register to vote? And she thought that would get her her state ID. Mm -hmm. So she said yes. Six months goes by. She gets the voter registration cards. And her husband, um, who didn't know anything about the rules, said, well, if they gave you the registration card, it's all legit. You can do this. And um, so then she votes. And at her green card tests, um, they asked her if she's ever voted. And she said yes, thinking like that's what a proud American is supposed to do, right? And then they put her in deportations proceedings and she lost. 
And so we, what we did at the company is like all the shows that we do, we try to not pick a side. We try to like really, um, and not try to like be polemic or try to like slip, you know, put something over your head, like see how we just kind of try to tell the facts and we do it, what we call a reenactment of one woman's deportation case. And we, we, we don't even put it in theaters. We put it in actual courtrooms and civic centers all across the city. What's cool about that show is that it, it's, it's open us up to probably the brightest and greatest minds in the uh, immigration legal field and uh, immigration activists in America. And so we can work alongside those communities to kind of really show what it must mean to be an immigrant, what it must be mean to like go through this system. Just bear the bare facts. Like Americans don't even know that an immigrant that's going through the immigration court system, they're not given a lawyer. So you have to get your own lawyer. So now you're an immigrant that doesn't speak English, has very little means, barely can survive. Now you have to like pay tens and thousands of dollars of money that you don't have to, to hire a lawyer. Did um, your mom ever see it? She hasn't yet. You know what's the scariest, craziest thing? I mean, we were about to, I mean, what day is this? Is it the third or the second? Second, yeah. Second. On the sixth, we were going to fly to Chicago oh, and perform God. it in the courtroom in the courthouse where this original case took place. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been postponed to hopefully in the fall. Um, but it's also the place where I became naturalized, where I became a citizen. Full circle. Full circle. Isn't that crazy? I have some more things I want to talk about with the theater after, but let's get into succession. How did this sure. role come to you? You know, I was doing this play on Broadway called The Humans, and I think the entire casting I, mean, I think the entire the writing team had seen the humans on broadway and um it was a big hit at the time won the tony award and but it was a real like naturalistic you know you know six person drama one scene kind of vibe and the part of stewie came up and i and i read it and i really you know i really have one idea when it comes to these types of people um and what you're seeing is that idea and so i think i don't think they knew what the heck stewie was going to be and who he was going to be i think there was even talks of like having him be like maybe even autistic like they didn't know where this character was going to go and i think it was only supposed to be two episodes um and then um essentially what happened is i auditioned and i auditioned a few times and i got the part and then i i got the part and then i, I was literally shooting like the next day oh, wow. and then so quick choices had to be made and and i just wanted him to be very relaxed and I want him to be unbelievably confident. And I didn't want him to lie. I was very essential that like, here's a guy that has so much power that he doesn't need to lie. You know, he can be brutal about it, but you know. How do you think that he sees the Roys and their internal dynamics? How, how does he feel about them? The backstory is that he's been friends with Kendall for ages. So he must have been part of that family for a long time. What, what is your picture of how he sees them? I think that I think that the Roys. Um, I think that Stewie thinks of the Roys like he thinks of any you know big conglomerate. Um, is that they are just whoever is going to win. I think Stewie said it. I think Stewie said it in that last episode. He says, "Listen, my people are going to make a little bit more money than your people. Now, if your people are going to make a little bit more money than my people, then I go with your people." So I think that he thinks that all of this like family turmoil that's happening is just messy noise that he doesn't want to be involved with. It's like get your shit together. Let's do this. We're either doing. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just it's don't been... care about. 
it's business. So when Kendall is trying to like threaten him and um and trying to like scare him in some sort of way at that last scene where he's like, I'm gonna kill you and da 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 he's like doesn't even mean anything, dude. Like I'm gonna make a little bit more money than you. And so I think he sees them as a dollar bill. And 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 what I think is refreshing about that, oddly, is that is that it really shows you how capitalism has really no enemies or heroes it is the hero the winner is the one that has the biggest prize which is kind of the fault of capitalism (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean which is why it doesn't it's not going to work but i think he's he epitomizes he shows you know that that series that like no this is what it is and oddly if you look back and again you know i I've been living with this character for a couple of years now. But if you look back, every time that Stewie says something to the Roys, Logan Roy does it. I'll give you an example. In season one, he goes, listen, look at the newspaper. Everyone fucking hates you. You know, like everyone fucking hates you, dude. Like you suck at this. And so I don't care. You want to buy? Here's more money. But you got to, can we like change the picture? And so what does um, Logan do? He goes and tries to do a press campaign. Logan and also him. Yeah, because they understand each other. Yeah, and and he's one of the few that can actually say, you know, everyone fucking hates you to his face. And, yeah. And, and, and you guys play that so well. Now, I understand you want me to go through my every thought with you. I appreciate finally getting a chance to talk through these very major moves you're considering, yes. Uh, we've become aware of some very desirable assets that are available. A block of local TV stations, highly undervalued. TV. Oh, I remember those. They, we still have one of those in my gym. Oh, it's so great to have the wisdom of my son's college drinking buddy in the room. I just love the way he asks me for money. <laughs> no, I get it. But there is a pressing issue, right? Well, it's part of a larger strategy. No, I, I, I get all that. I'm just... I think... The issue here, sir, is that everyone fucking hates you. And and that's what I was thinking that you and Jeremy, when you play the Stewie, my feeling about their friendship is that it was a lot of fun and that Stewie was the cool one and, and mm-hmm. Kendall with his rap and all that. And, and that they sort of, that he, he was a fresh, something fresh for him outside of the Roy family. I mean, that's just the impression I get of how yeah, he Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, I think that, you know, these are two guys that were like, we're going to take it all over. And when, and when we say that in the theater world, it's like, we're going to be like civic minded people. The, what they're talking about is they're literally talking about, no, 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 we're going to be the biggest names in, in the world. Um, and they could have maybe done it. They could have been, you know, the biggest names in the world. And, and that scene, which is, Again, all credit to Jesse on this one. Um, is that they they it doesn't make sense. Like they he says it, they, we had the whole thing in our hands and you fucking walked. Like what what what's the deal here? You know, I think that Stewie knows from the get-go that this is way bigger than, you know, my dad's plan was better. Because it's just bullshit. Stan's plan was a better <laughs> you know. Uh, the production itself, it's a real ensemble work. Do you guys have rehearsal? Tell me a little bit about how you no. work. No, all the Jeremy scenes, all of the Kendall Stewie scenes, we, we don't, we shoot the rehearsal. Um, we shoot on film. 
which is, I think, a big shock for people. We shoot three cameras on film. Every take is a long take. We don't cut anything up. So every epi- every scene that you saw of, of, of either of those, we did the entire three-page scene. Um, sometimes we, you know, in that, in the, I think you're talking about episode um, one of season two and that last scene. Not only did we shoot the entirety of the R scene, we then walked that scene into the next scene with him talking to um, Sandy Furness. And we did all of that on one take. Your theater background must be amazing for this. We're all theater actors. All of us. I mean, um, every. I, I mean, I, I want to say almost every single person that I can think of is a theater actor. So, so, and the other thing is when we shoot on film, the pressure of just trying to make sure that every take is fresh and alive feels like theater. Um, so, it, like, let's say a big group scene, like a wedding group scene, or like, um, you know, in season two, like Argesti, so that you know those big, huge group scenes where like all these characters are like on top of each other. We don't shoot that. We usually don't shoot that in pieces. So what happens is three cameras on film, long, uh, uh, and and sometimes we don't even know where the cameras are. I'm being serious. Like in those big group scenes, we we have to constantly be like, where are the cameras? And we just do our scenes as if it were normal. And then the ca- the unbelievable camera crew grabs us in all these ways. So if you watch it, that's how we get some one scene happening this way and all of a sudden it flies to another scene. That's why it feels like we're always eavesdropping because we are not under the pressure of usually like hitting a mark or being here. I mean, there's like general marks, but we leave it for the camera guys to kind of like grab us. and And that's why it feels so... We don't even know what they catch sometimes. Sometimes we're like, did you even get that scene? They're like, oh, no, we got you in the close-up. We're like, how? how where were th-? It's just they have these huge zoom lenses. Planning behind the production plan. Unbelievable. I can't even imagine. They, I mean, yeah, so like a 10-page scene, which usually take, which we'd never do in television. You never do a 10-page scene in one, in one day. We can do in like eight hours. And so, because we can shoot it in three different angles and everyone's grabbing something and, and, um, and so one scene could lead to another scene. So it's like this real, you know, in our Jesse's again, like I had this line at the back, you know, in the back there where as Logan is reading, I'm like, it's funny because it's true as he's like walking out there. I didn't even know if they ever got that until I saw it because I was like, no camera ever got close to me to get that shot. It just happened on wides. And so it always feels like we're doing these little one acts in those big group scenes. Um, And we don't rehearse. So it feels very fresh and alive. And, and there is, and, 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 and Jesse, you know, I would say that the big thing that we've, that they, they cast the hell out of us. Everyone's cast so well. And so we get to like bring in our own ideas of how, who and how these people are. Do you know what I mean? The complexities of these people. No one feels like a two-dimensional person. Do you know what I mean? Everyone feels like there's depth and, 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 and camaraderie and history. Um, and so when we're on set, we just have to be um, and, and, and quote-unquote, like, not to sound like cheesy, but like not act in a way. Do you get your scripts a long time beforehand? <laughs> <or are they? laughs> we, were, we didn't have a final script for the last episode until the third day of being in Croatia. Which I, I think I told, you know, I was talking to one of the HBO producers or executives or someone, um, and I said, you know, they just came off of Game of Thrones, which was pre-planned for like, I don't know, like two, 
to a T. And I was like, have you guys ever been this like far behind with this? And you could see in her face, she's like, never, never in my life. I was like, ooh. Um, but you know, it also leaves us to, it leaves, it keeps it fresh. Um, scripts are given, you know, very quickly. Um, and, and we just like shoot sometimes, you know, table reads sometimes happen and then, you know, massive rewrites of the scripts are happening. It's a real, it's really feels like an indie movie with kind of like the best casting crew. The other thing is, on great shows, you know, I'm I'm a huge, you know, I'm I'm I love Breaking Bad, and I love Sopranos, I love The Wire, I love these shows. But you can always hear one thing that everything like worked, every level was just clicking. So from Mark Milode and all of our directors and Jesse and all of his writing team and Frank Rich, who's, you know, a theater, you know, practitioner, you know, the guy that like wrote every review for the New York Times is now our executive. Like we are all feel like we're a part of something unique and, and, and we all feel like a team and all the places have like clicked. And last thing I want to say about this is that, you know, when we were shooting season one, I remember having distinct conversations with, you know, cast members and being like, are people going to get this? <laughs> like, like we are, it's like, and you know, we only see our scenes and the table words. It's like, is nobody's winking at the audience. Nobody is like, are they going to get this? <laughs> We're trying to like do this, you know? And we did. And I think you did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah. I think you did. But talking about casting, I talked to Jeremy Strong of, well, I wonder if it was a year ago or something like that. And it was the most method acting interview I've ever done in my life. I mean, he talked about stuff like that he ties his shoelaces too tight because he read that there was a Murdoch son that did that, that could sort of, that would keep him on his toes. He talked about how the last scene was so emotionally tearing that he almost quit acting. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. What's your experience? How, what's it like working with him? I mean, you guys are both. You said you mentioned that you knew each other and that you're also a theater actor. But is that your experience as well? Yeah. Oh my God, no. Jeremy is very intense. I mean, the other thing is, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy's performance on this show is so singular and so unique in in modern television. I will say, and I'm of the belief. I tell my students this: whatever you need to do. If it's not hurting other people in your process to get where, where you need is what you need to do to get to that. I mean, no one is going to be like, oh, I really liked him. I wonder what, you know, I wonder, but, you know, his process wasn't good enough. So, I don't, you know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. Um, so, Jeremy is singular in that way. Jeremy definitely is, I would say, um, the only person in my life, and I would say a lot of our filmmakers' lives, that have been this method. Um, I will tell you that I, I know numerous cast members um, and numerous directors that have never seen anything like that in its life. And you, we don't rehearse. And I kind of vaguely remember on the first day of shooting of our first scene, I kind of went up to him and was like, yo, dude, amazing. How are you, Jeremy? And he was already in character. I was like, oh my God, he's in character right now. And and that's been my entire experience with him. You know, like um, it's really, really intense and it adds a level of, you know, nerves to, to the experience, especially since we don't rehearse. Um, yeah, I was almost worried about him when he was talking about the sort of mental toll it took on him. That, that last I, yeah, I think we like, all are. Yeah. I think we all are. I mean, I, I think he really goes above and beyond sometimes. And, you know, we're all different. I'm like the literally the polar opposite of that. <laughs> I mean, just I cannot, I mean, not, not to, 
not to judge. It's I literally I just like to be relaxed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just I I, I don't want to like be thinking too much. And all of a sudden they say action, and we are off and running. So what was it, Lawrence Olivier? Say why don't you just try acting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even in that respect, you know, I'm kind of like, well, if D- Dustin Hoffman is doing great work, who cares what you're, you know? But you know, for me, it's 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 really intense to see him like go through that process, and and it's intense. It is really really intense, and. But, you know, we all have our own different approaches and we're all kind of just trying to, like, be relaxed and have a good time. And and. Um, but what about a legend like Brian Cox? What has he taught you? I think Brian is I think Brian. I mean, you'd have to talk to Brian. But I think I think I think Brian does not uh, abide by the method acting world. And I think that that kind of tension of just having a different approach might also be like informative for their, their, their lives. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, but, um, but Brian is not in that, in that realm. There's a really special chemistry between Logan and Stewie in particular. I mean, mm. that, that it's the writing of course, but it, there's something between the two of you where you can say, where Stewie can say whatever he wants to Logan and you can sort of see in his eyes that, you know, that, that's, that's, I wish one of my sons would have said that instead. I think that's... I really do think that. And you play off him in a way that feels like you're not afraid, which none of the other sons are feeling. No, I think you're 100% right. I think basically the reason is, is because I think that Stewie and Logan understand that this is a game. And this is a game about winning. And, and, And our emotional backstories is irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. It just actually doesn't matter if the people... So you don't see Logan at the end of that last episode of season two say to Stewie, after I'm like, I'm going to make a little bit more... You don't see him being like, you're a fucking idiot. You're an idiot. No, he's kind of like, yeah. And they sit. you see that the two of them in that little boat with Logan and Kendall. And, and the Kendall looks back at Logan and Logan just looks ahead because Logan knows that I'm right. And so I think... The reality is, is that I think they do respect each other. I do think that he wishes that his sons looked a little bit more like Stewie. I think that last moment with Kendall, you know, him ripping it up and just, you know, starting the war is, and, ha- and you know, Logan smiling at the end is the first time we get to see a crack of that from one of his kids, you know. Even if you look at um, Shiv, Shiv at the end basically says, don't touch Tom, please for me. And that is not something that Stewie would do. You were saying that it's a game. I mean, I think Roman also sees it as a game, but he has too much emotion invested. He wants his father's glory. And, and so that's so he would never be able to do what Stewie did, even though he may see it the same way. Yeah, there's too much emotion there and, 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 and misplaced emotion because they're all, I mean, listen, they're family members, so I'm not judging them for, you know, trying to have a normal family structure. But but the reality is 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 that Stewie has no of the, none of that emotion. The only emotion that he has is even in that last scene, you know, I love that they kept this in there because it wasn't I don't think it was like even written in the script. And if it was, I apologize, Jesse, for not crediting you. But <laughs> but I think like when 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 Logan's like, Okay, here's the deal. I'm gonna give you three board seats, including Kendall's. And all of a sudden, if you look, Stewie looks at Kendall and being like, what? (laughs) Like looking at his friend and being like, you're giving up your board seat? That's stupid. What are you doing? 
I mean, like, we don't have any lines about that, but there is a, but you see, you're like, what are you talking about? Why would you, it's not him being like, you idiots. Like, it's more like, you're giving me a, you're, why are you, my friend, losing out on this? What kind of bullshit is this? But do you think that Stewie has an inkling that Kendall is being, how should I put it, blackmail? I mean, that he, that something else is going on between him and his father. I think that he has an inkling that the deal is shit and Kendall should know better. Yeah, it's like, I mean, if in the bad writing version, the bad TV version of this, it'd be like, hold on one second, Logan. You're going to give up your board seat? Why would you do that, you moron? <laughs> the, the one thing that we always talked about as kids is that, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I think that look is. It's like, what are you doing? Like, Kendall, you're smarter than this. Now, what's amazing about, you know, a show like this and the truth and hopefully like what we're trying to do, remove myself from it. Like what I feel like all the actors do in the show so kind of like effortlessly is that it's also truthful. And so that truth, you as an audience member could put your DNA on every person. So you can walk up to someone and be like, as I've happened a couple of times, you'll be like, you're a fucking asshole on that show. And other people like yourself being like, you're the only one that cares for Kendall. Yeah. And that Kendall is, I think Kendall will really miss him. We're going to get, I mean, that's, that's the thing, but getting into this project, what has surprised you about this world of immense and absolute money and power? I mean, I knew nothing about bear hugs and, I mean, I knew about Davos retreats, but I didn't, you know, see. Yeah, that. yeah. What What have you sort of learned about? I mean, you know, it's so funny I, I, on the business side of things. This is this is going to sound so weird, but this is the absolute truth. I have a little bit of a leg up just because I have a nonprofit theater company. I know that sounds crazy, but my. I know the the cruel world of the business world through the nonprofit lens. I know about board structures and all that. So a little bit of understanding of the nonprofit sector kind of like informs so much of that. Um, I think the thing that really kind of, I think, was the hope when I was reading the scripts, especially with me, again, remove myself with all the other amazing characters in it, was kind of what happened is that you would find that these people are products of a very fucked up system that doesn't really work. And especially not within a family. No, it just doesn't work. I mean, Sarah Snook, who plays Shiv, is, you know, Australian. And, you know, in Australia, they have a massive immigration problem. And that immigration problem is amplified because the news sources in Australia amplify it. And those news sources that are in Australia that are amplifying this like massive crisis about the immigration, which isn't really that massive. It's massive, but it's not, you know, detrimental. It's not killing the society is owned by Rupert Murdoch. And so now his kids, once Rupert, you know, passes away, his kids are now going to extend the legacy of this kind of new system. And so if we don't understand how these people are functioning, we're never going to understand how to combat these unbelievably, you know, toxic news organizations or, or, you know, and so what's really kind of exciting for me to have audiences realize is, is the, is humanizing these rather despicable people um, and seeing like, oh, I actually see that. I think the number one comment we get, I feel like uh, that I hear when people talk about succession is like, I actually don't want to be that rich. No, that's just like, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Where, where before, before succession, people be like, give me a billion, give me $2 billion, whatever. Now it's kind of like, oh, actually, I'm fine with like $5 million. <laughs> You know, like, I think that's been a huge thing. And the other thing that I think has been really kind of 
kind of refreshing on television is that is that we see these people's ecosystems and and egos on full display you know one of the things that really just haunts me but you know there was a scene between Shiv and Logan and where Logan says where no Shiv says well me being a woman is a detriment and in and in, in, in a bad tv show he's like that's not what i'm saying da, da, da. No, Logan's like, of course it is. And you're even stupid for asking. Yeah, you're an idiot for asking me. And that type of disgusting truth at that level shows us why we're in the mess that we're in constantly. Not only in just gender gender disparities, but also economic disparities, racial disparities. It's because, of course, it's a like it wasn't even an afterthought. It wasn't like, you know, let me just say quickly, I'm, you know, just between you and me you know, off the record. No, he says it like point blank. He's like, yes, it's the worst quality that you can possibly have, which is so horrifying that these people rule our world. And I've been reading about the incredibly interesting research that you guys have got pertaining to these type of rich people. For example, a little detail that some very rich person who was ever advising in research was saying that when you get out of a helicopter, as I would do, because I've never been in a helicopter, yeah. I would duck. Yeah, of course. You don't want your head chopped off. Yeah. But the researchers given us, these people have been going on helicopters since they were newborn babies. They don't duck. They know not to duck. Yeah. And that little detail, did you get any other that type of research? Yeah, I mean, I never, you know, the character, you know, it's so funny. All of the crew, I just want this to this is for the record. Okay. <laughs> all of the crew and all the actors are, you know, in season one, we're like, why doesn't, why aren't you wearing socks? How come <laughs> you're not wearing socks? Now, FYI, everyone after that was not wearing socks, but that's fine. Um, the big thing about that is, yeah, like, um, you don't have heavy jackets because you're not going to be out, outside that long. You just go from the helicopter. Car to, to the, the thing. Yeah. Car, car to the thing. Like, why would, it's not like you're going to be walking to the place. <laughs> so um, dressing, ju- dressing, you know, down and always, you know, dressing for, you know, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of, um, of being outside is, is the thing. It's not like you and I, when it's outside, you know, especially in New York, you're like, you like bundle up and like, I'm going to be out for five hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so here it's like, no, it's the exact opposite. It's like, no, he just comes in and out and, and, and it's going to be, you know, completely easy and simple. So I think that's another detail. And, you know, for me, I, I just, I, you know, I worry about money. You worry about money. People that we know worry about money. Am I going to pay the rent? Am I going to do this? You know, you know, five, six years ago, you know, we were like, just like theater job to theater job, like hoping to kind of get a TV show. Um, but uh, one thing that I try to really infuse in Stewie, at least, is if it all the, the shit hits the fan, he's not going to go to jail and he's not going to be poor. So it's all relative. It's all the stress is relative. And that's why the game can be played. Yeah, I think it's maybe Tom's character, maybe it's in season one, says something like, oh, I'm not going to jail. <laughs> I, and I'm going to get out of jail. Do you know what I mean? Like, or someone's talking about like, oh, maybe it's Connor's talking about a sweet little parachute. Like, give me a little sweet little parachute to get me out. Like, these people don't have consequences. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so that I tried to really infuse as well of like, of just high stakes, low stakes. Do you know what I mean? You're mentioning all these great characters. Roman, who has a really biting... Uh line to Stewie is you look like a dildo dipped in beard trimmings. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of Amazing. The 
How do you think the Roys would do in a pandemic quarantine together? God, great question. Hopefully we're going to see that. Um, I think they, they, I think they would, I think they'd do exactly what's happening now. You know, probably like destroy each other and try to like murder each other. Um, oh, Tom. Tom. God, Tom. Tom is just no. I'll be the pet. You know that scene in uh, in 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 Turnhaven where he's basically like uh, he's basically like no. I'll be the Patsy. No, I'm gonna take it on the chin. You can make fun of me. You know he's this poor guy. Um, I think I think they'd eat each other alive, and I think and I think they take it seriously, not seriously. I mean, there are people you know, without getting too political, but you know, if you look at Trump. I don't know how seriously he and his family are taking this, you know, pandemic um, as they're still doing press conferences, um, like not doing six feet apart. Uh, I think they'd probably think that they're invincible. But they're the first to get the vaccine. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Well, just like all the rich people. Yeah. Yeah. All the rich people, everyone that we knew had the vaccines. Like I've been tested. It's like, oh, you're rich and you're wealthy. And and all of my friends that have been waiting for the test have been waiting, you know, six to nine days. Same, you know. So is the next season stalled productions? Do you know? What do you know? How? I mean, what can you tell us? Um, I can't tell you too much, but but we have not read any scripts. I'll tell you that mm-hmm. much. I, I will tell you this from, I don't think much, many of us know what the hell is going to happen yet with regards to the se- season. I think we have some very vague ideas pre-COVID of like, of places that we were going to go to and and kind of like, you know, how the first three or four are going to be like uh, unveiling itself and who's coming back. But, you know, that was all pre-COVID. So I'm not sure how that's going to play itself out. You think they may tweak the writing to fit? I really don't know. I really, I mean, they're really, we don't ask to be quite honest. We have so much trust in them. We don't know. I mean, I love this. I don't know, but I will say, I don't think the vast majority of the cast knows. Um, We were supposed to start shooting like in the middle of this month. Um, which obviously is going to be on hold to, I don't know when. Well, we have a lot to look forward to, but you have another exciting team yeah. working with one of the absolute greats besides Jesse, and that's Shonda Rhimes. Love her. Uh, Netflix series. Is this done? Tell us about it, and will we see this? Well, no, we have not finished shooting on that one either, but we have basically more than half of it has been shot. Um, it's I can't say much about this one either, but I will tell you it's a real story. Um about the it's i think it's going to be really exciting it's the story of anna delvey anna delvey is a really unbelievable character i haven't seen tiger king yet but um but i think like i think there will be a lot of correlations with this type of person anna delvey was a 25 year old fake german heiress and she almost got 25 million dollars to start her own club her own social club and then she got caught and then uh, she, and then she, I mean, it's a true story. So, I mean, she's in Rikers right now as we speak. I play her lawyer. I defend her in a court of law. The amazing, unbelievable, ridiculously talented Julia Garner is playing Anna Delvey. Um, I cannot wait for the world to see her do this because it is, um, the cast is amazing. The writing is really exceptional. Shonda to leave the ABC Disney world to like delve into this story is really fascinating. This is Netflix. This is her first Netflix show with them, you know, and it's, and it's a different type of empowerment story about women. That's, I think is really kind of captivating. You know, she is, her, her story is shocking on how she basically, you know, swindled so many of the kind of the biggest minds and the biggest economic minds in New York city and how she might 
you know, my obviously I'm a defender, but how she um, maybe wasn't at all at fault. You know, the, the comparison of if a man came in and pitched a hundred million dollar idea for a new app that never gets made. People don't throw that person in jail. No one gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. She came up with an idea that's not even that. Other rules. Yeah. I mean, I think I was, I mean, don't quote me on this research, but, you know, Billy McFarland of Fire Festival, the Theranos lady, those people like, detri- like put a detriment on people's lives. She was trying to build a social club. Like she was trying to build a Soho house. Now she swindled people and she was sociopathic, <laughs> but, um, but it's also like a wealth porny show. It's like you're, it's, it's. It's top tier. I mean, I think Netflix is, has got a real kind of unbelievable epic miniseries on their hands. And do you think that's something we'll be able to see or is that also? So we're halted. So we basically have, like I said, like of the 10 episodes, I basically have like, you know, four, four and a half more to shoot. So we'll come back to that when we come back to that. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. The things you do at Waterwell are pretty amazing. I, I was mentioning this at this education program where hundreds of students get free art programs. We are in this crisis right mm. now. So how can you work with them today? And, and is there are there ways that we can use art for, for relief? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. I think that's some a question that I think most artists and, comp, you know, TV producers and and and, and film people and artists and painters, everyone's contemplating, like, what does this all mean? Yeah, no, I think the answer to your question is absolutely. You know, we shut down the schools a couple of weeks ago, you know, our program at the Waterwell Drama Program. Yeah, like you said, over 200 kids, grades 6 through 12. We are not an after-school program. We're inside the public school curriculum. We do 11 productions a year. We not only teach them world-class arts training and have people go to Juilliard and Yale, but we also teach them, like, civics and uh, art, an artists as citizen, you you know, ethos system um, and tell them a little bit like you can do all this stuff, but if you're not going to help better your, your communities, whatever that means to you, all of this is, is for not going to amount to anything. I absolutely believe that this is a time that we should be doubling down on the arts and not doing, you know, getting away with it because a, just the practical reason we're all quarantined at home. If you take away books, music and movies, we'd all be gone we'd all literally lose our minds. And so that's one. That's just like a practical thing. And the second thing is we as artists shed a light on the world that other people can't shed a light. You know, we say this all the time, but in the theater, our job really is to is to show what show empathy we our job is to literally say hey i'm playing a character the character is stewie hussein this private equity you know d-bag who like kills and small little companies all the time to, for the bottom dollar but i my job is to have you care about me you know that's what that's the transaction that we have and so we have to teach our youth right now that that is the most essential thing we look at art and you we use it to understand how to like maintain a day-to-day structure how to be responsible respectful how to have citizenship so now more than ever is the time to really double down on it and show that we have you can show resilience through art more than you can show through anything else and so well if something comes out of this difficult time which looks really grim now but if people vote and think about healthcare workers teachers and the arts and get with some new appreciation bingo well before i let you go you have won awards you know tony nominated but one of the biggest things that happened is that you were ranked number 12 in vulture's best sweaters of succession for the stewy fluffy cream turtleneck sweater in the adjustes episode 
episode. What's your speech? <laughs> thank you so much. I just want to say that that I just really want to thank all the people out there because no, I want to thank honestly. I want to thank I want to thank Michelle and Molly. Honestly, we saw that sweater. I was like, I want that. And that and that suede jacket over it. God, it says so much. The joke is that the sweaters on Succession have become this huge thing because they ranked, I don't know, like 20 sweaters know. from everyone. You're in five. But he is a sharp dresser, Stewie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has to be. He has to be. He has to be. You know, he's also Iranian. So, like, Iranian's kind of, like, at that level. You know, look at Dara, who owns Uber, or all the guys that, like, run all these, like, major things. Like, they look very, very good. Nice. <laughs> they need yeah. to, like, look like they know what the fuck they're doing. Um, my biggest regret I, as I'm finalizing my speech is that I never accidentally – I didn't accidentally steal that suede jacket or that – I, I accidentally didn't steal that. There is a couple of suits I want to say I've been saying to the succession, I mean, to the Inventing Anna folks, the, the, the Shauna show that I'm on, because he has a lot of amazing suits that he wears. I said, oh, it's so, it's so crazy that this suit was stolen next week. I don't know how that happens. That's so crazy. That that's, um, but yeah, it is, uh, it, that sweater is gorgeous. Oh God. The clothes on that show is gorgeous. Thank you so You're much. So welcome. This was amazing. And I want to really wish and hope that your whole family you goes too. to the States and in Iran, you know, to stay safe. Thank and you. Well, and, um, I'll keep, watching out for all your work thank you my love oh you're so sweet thank you so much for doing this thank you so much to Aryan Moyet we are looking forward to seeing all your work and thank you for listening to Pop Culture Confidential subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find information on Pop Culture Confidential Premium at popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm thank you so much for your support and thank you for listening see you next time You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.